part of that or you have been a part of that, it's always such a blessing to come together and, and uh, just seek the Lord as a body. Um, out in the foyer, there was a little handout there, the men's church breakfast on Saturday, December the 7th. So pick one of those up. And then the last thing um, is the uh, progressive dinner or the Christmas dinner. Um, if you haven't signed up for that or don't know about that, uh, Lana always does a great job with that. And she's not here. She's actually over in Africa with Brian and Mandy. So that's another thing. As you think about it, be praying for them um, just for health and safety while they're over there. And, um, yeah, so if you're interested in that, I think there was a sign-up back there. But if not, find Josh or Cindy. Find Cindy, and she'll uh, hook you up. So with that, the uh, scripture for today is in your bulletin. Um, we just encourage you to, if you have your Bible or your phone, and it's on your phone um, or your iPad, whatever it is, um, it is really important um, that we um, seek the Lord in his word. It is God's word. So um, look it up in your scripture or read along in the bulletin. Acts ten forty two through 48 says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, this day. Thanks for the opportunity to come before you and worship you and um, just to glorify your name together as a body. I just do ask now that you would um, continue to be in this time of teaching here, um, time with the kids as they are taught, and um, just pray that our our hearts um, would be receptive, that we wouldn't leave here unchanged, that we would truly receive the message of your word. And so we just ask for open hearts. We ask that you would uh, bless the prison ministry tonight. God, be preparing hearts um, for that. Thank you for what you're doing there. And um, be bringing the people that you would have to come. Just radical um, transformation that the lives of the women there would, would be changed and that that place would be um, just a, a lighthouse. God, some place that people are sent for um, things they shouldn't have done, that it would... Um, become just the opposite, a lighthouse for your glory, God, that people would um, hear about what goes on at Mitchellville Prison, and um, it would just be um, a testimony of you and your grace and your power. God, I do pray for um, Jim and Lana as they're with Brian and Mandy, and ask that you would um, just give them sweet times together, give them uh, times of um, refreshment and encouragement, and God, I just pray for great things for them through that time as well, God, that your word would be furthered, that your kingdom would be expanded, and that um, those that they interact with would see you and, and your glory. Bless the rest of our time today, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good morning. 
Well, this morning I'm going to talk with you uh, about the gift of tongues. And some may ask, why devote an entire message to this? Why is this that important? And I'm going to give you four reasons why I believe it is that important. Number one, uh, speaking in tongues was the way the Holy Spirit first manifested himself to the church. I mean, this is the way the Holy Spirit introduced himself to us. And in large measure, we know that the church or the Holy Spirit is in the church today through the rushing wind, through the fire, and the speaking in tongues that we read about in the book of Acts. Second, for many people, tongues is the issue when we talk about the Holy Spirit. I mean, you mention the word Holy Spirit, some people just think tongues immediately. Uh, It is the one issue that people have the most questions about. It is certainly the most controversial issue. Uh, So, if we do a series on the Holy Spirit and we avoid talking about tongues, I mean, it's just kind of like ignoring the elephant in the room, right? I mean, it'd be a lot easier, um, but it would be the more cowardly uh, way out. Number three, uh, we need to talk about tongues because the Bible talks about it. Uh, tongues are in the Bible. There's a significant amount of scriptures about Tongues, And if we are a people who are devoted to God's word, then we need to devote time to seeing what God says about this in his word. Fourth, we need to talk about tongues because we need to be taught to talk about this topic in love. You know, this church is somewhat unique. I mean, we've got people from every background here. I mean, if I named all the different churches uh, that people have come from here. I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. And the same was true at uh, the previous church that we, that we were involved in starting Des Moines Fellowship. I mean, just people from all different kinds of backgrounds God has brought together. And we need to be able to talk about tongues in love because we have different, we've, we've come with different experiences and different, different backgrounds. And quite honestly, nothing divides the church more than different views on tongues. I mean, this is an issue that, at least for many people, really raises the temperature in the room. Uh, Battle lines are drawn. uh, People's positions are often hardened, uh, fixed, and passionately held. And it is just so easy in the name of of what we view as theological correctness to, to belittle others or to condemn or to be cruel to one another. So when we talk about tongues, it's just so important to remember that the priority is always love. You know, my parents uh, went to a very large, very traditional uh, church in Kansas City and, uh, you know, totally the opposite of anything that would be considered uh, charismatic. And they had a special speaker come in for a series of meetings. He was a converted Jew powerful speaker. I've listened to some of his messages. And the first night, or one of the nights that he was there, he did, he did some teaching on gifts, like gifts like serving, giving, teaching, etc. Uh, my parents were there. So happened my brother Paul was there. And my brother called me after the service from down in Kansas City. He said, man, what a powerful service this was. He said, my dad was just was deeply touched at uh, the guy had asked for people to stand up for, with, that felt that they had certain gifts, and my dad stood up 
He talked about those who felt they had the gift of giving or generosity. And my, and my brother just said, man, my, you know, this is a really moving, touching service. Just really felt like my, get, my dad was, was, was powerfully impacted by it. But the next night, he, t- he spoke on tongues as being a legitimate gift of the Spirit. And in that church, I mean, that was like dropping a bomb in the front of the sanctuary. And... I mean, that, that ended the meetings right there. I mean, they kicked him out of the church. They canceled the meetings. They issued a statement apologizing to the church for even allowing this guy to come in the building. Um, and, you know, personally, I, I don't think he should have come into that church and taught something he knew the church did not agree with. I think maybe love would have caused a different approach. But certainly love should have caused his church to have a, a different approach too. And, you know, some people just say, hey, let's avoid this because tongues are divisive. You know, but the reality is tongues are not divisive. It is sinful human flesh that is divisive. It is, it is possible to have differing convictions, even about tongues, and yet treat each other with love, respect, and honor. And I am fully aware that not everyone will agree with me this morning. I mean, there's some messages I come in here to church, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this may be a challenging message in some way, but I'm pretty sure everybody's going to agree with me throughout this message. You know, there's going to be a lot of amens, and people are just going to say, yeah, preach it, read. You know, I'm pretty sure that that's not going to happen with everybody uh, this morning. So uh, I, just, I just would hope that, 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 that you would love me as much uh, after the message as, as you do before. Because, uh, again, the priority is love. Preach it, read. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my approach this morning is going to be basically, what does the Bible say? Okay, that's going to be, that's really my mantra. What does the Bible say? And so we're going to cover a lot of Scripture this morning. The passage that Matt just read, that's only one of just several that we're, that we're going, going to hit on this morning. So here we go. Uh, the first mention of tongues is in Mark 16, 15 through 17. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. So Jesus spoke about this gift of tongues shortly before he, was, before he ascended into heaven. And then a few days later, tongues came on the scene as what is called the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was, means 50 roughly seven weeks or 50 days after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, sh- shortly after Jesus ascended, they're all together in one room. And that's, that's pretty, pretty well known. I mean, we, we, we hear about the upper room. Uh, or we know about the, 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 the disciples gathered uh, in the first part of Acts. And it, and it says that in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It says, all the believers uh, were together. And it was a group numbering about 120. I mean, you know, we might have thought there would be thousands, but no, the disciples, the committed followers of Jesus after his years of ministry, there's about 120 gathered, including the disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus' brothers, and other men and women. And then Acts 2 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's verse uh, 4. Verse 5 through 10 tells us that there were God-fearing Jews from every nation, and it lists 14 different uh, countries with different languages or dialects. 
And verse 6 says, when they heard the sound of this, the sound of all these believers speaking in tongues, they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they said to one another, what does this mean? Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Verse 14, so Peter stood up and addressed the crowd, and he said, let me explain this to you. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine o'clock in the morning. And he went on to say, which I'll just paraphrase, he went on to just say, they're not drunk with wine, they're filled with the Spirit. This is the outpouring that the prophet Joel spoke about. So just, you know, without putting a lot of spin on this, just summarizing it, there were 120 believers declaring the wonders of God in tongues or languages they, had not, they did not know. Jews from other parts of the empire heard uh, their own languages being spoken. Uh, and all of this happened in such a way that caused some to make fun of them and conclude that they were all drunk. But Peter defended it and said, no, this is the Holy Spirit. Now, maybe, and this is the start of the church, right? This is how the church started. And maybe this is not how you would start a church, but this is how God started his church. The Holy Spirit chose to make himself known by enabling the believers to speak in unknown languages, and this phenomena was the work of the Holy Spirit. All right, the next time in Scripture, we're on this this journey, okay? Follow with me. Started in Mark, going to Acts, chapter 2. Now we're moving uh, to the next time that we hear about speaking in tongues. It's Acts chapter 10. This is the passage that Matt read for us. Uh, Peter was speaking to Gentiles, and this was a big deal. He was speaking to Gentiles gathered in the home of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman soldier. Uh, we're, we're looking at Acts 10, 39 through 47. He was a centurion, so he was, he was like a commander over other soldiers. And it was in his home, and he, he gathered other Gentiles there, and Peter was invited to speak. And wrapping up, or as he got to the end of his message, Peter said, everyone who believes in Jesus, or everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then the very next statement is in verse 44. It says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. I mean, these people, they knew from their experience, okay? They knew from their own experience that tongues were a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So when they heard Gentiles praising God in tongues, this confirmed to them that that these uh, Gentiles were being saved too. Now, Peter took a lot of flack for going to the home of Cornelius. He was criticized uh, and and questioned about this. Uh, But when he when he was criticized for going to the house of these uncircumcised men, as it says, he said in Acts 11, he said, the Holy Spirit came on them just as he came on us at the beginning. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who was I to think that I could oppose God? 
That's what Peter said. All right, the next time that tongues is mentioned is over in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And uh, Luke said that the Apostle Paul was traveling. He was on a road going from Corinth to Ephesus. And it says that Paul uh, stumbled across or he ran into some other disciples. And he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard whether, that there is a Holy Spirit. And so it says, Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So in other words, they just, as, as Paul prayed for them, uh, to receive the Holy Spirit, they spontaneously began exalting God in tongues or in languages they did not understand and prophesying. Now, I want to just take a breath for a minute. And before, before you start uh, using these passages to draw uh, certain implications, before you uh, start lining up arguments in your head for certain doctrinal positions... I very strongly believe that the first thing we should do when we read all of these passages is simply to rejoice that the Holy Spirit gave such powerful, dramatic, immediate confirmation of his, of his reality and His presence to these people, and therefore to us in the church. I mean, the Holy Spirit came on them and just, boom! Immediately they spoke in tongues or in languages or with words they did not previously know. And this tongue speaking was, it, it was dramatic, dramatic, powerful evidence of the Holy Spirit's president, presence. And Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, I mean, he presents this as, as, as something wonderful. I mean, this is, this is the wonderful works of God uh, in part of the wonder, wonderful works of God in the books of Acts. This is something to celebrate, to thank God for, to worship God for. All right, the next time that we hear about tongues is in the book of 1 Corinthians. Okay, again, you know, we've moved from Mark, Acts, we're moving on through the Bible to 1 Corinthians. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It, say, it says in 1 Corinthians 12 that speaking in tongues is a, is a gift uh, of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 uh, talks about how the Holy Spirit gives different gifts to each one. It says to, to each person is given a manifestation of the Spirit of the Holy Spirit, to one is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another is given speaking in various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. All these things are the work of one and the same Spirit. So we read here that, that tongues are, are a gift. They're a, they're, they're a good gift, something that comes from the Holy Spirit. They're, they're given, some are given the spiritual ability of speaking in various kinds of tongues. And Paul says this is a work or the work of the Holy Spirit. Then toward the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 30, after Paul has emphasized how we, are, we all have gifts that differ. All right? That's one of the themes that we saw a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago from 1 Corinthians 12. That Paul makes this emphasis. Just like a body has different parts, he says we all have gifts that differ. And so at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 30, he says, do all speak in tongues? And the implied answer is no. 
New American Standard says, all do not speak in tongues, do they? And it's, it's, he doesn't just single out tongues. He says, all are not teachers, are they? All do not prophesy, do they? I mean, it's just, the, the point is that we all have differences. But tongues is specifically mentioned and says, all do not speak in tongues, do they? Moving on, chapter 13. Uh, Paul now brings in the idea of love, and he says that any of the gifts used without love, and, and the emphasis is any of the gifts used without love is just annoying. I mean, it's just, it just bothers people if you use, use any gift without love. It's useless. And there's a reference here, I believe, to tongues. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So he says, you know, if, 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 I, if I use this gift of tongues without love, it's it's not helpful, but he doesn't just single out love. He says, if I have faith to move mountains, if I don't do that with love, that's, that's worthless. Even if I'm extremely generous and just you know, give my possessions, if I, if I have the gift of giving, don't do that with love, that's worthless too. I mean, really, all the gifts, including tongues, are worthless without love. And then toward the end of chapter 13, he points out that love is eternal. I mean, love is something, it's the one thing that's going to last from here till the end of eternity. I mean, when we're in heaven, love is still going to be the, the supreme thing. But Paul says that, the, that other gifts like prophecy, knowledge, tongues will cease when we, when we know fully or see him face to face. Moving on, we go to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where, the, where the gift of tongues in the church meeting is discussed. And at Corinth, it is apparent that the gift of tongues was not being used totally as it should be. Okay, I, think, I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. It's just very clear if you read 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, it's, it, tongues is being overused or, or misused in a certain way in the church. And so Paul uses for, uh, 1 Corinthians 14 to correct this problem uh, by teaching a proper balance uh, about the use of tongues. And he, the emphasis on this chapter is that in order for other people to be, to be blessed by your gift, they have to understand what you're saying. And prophecy, he says, is a spoken message understood by others that strengthens, encourages, and comforts people. Okay, we talked about that last week. Prophecy is a word, is a word from the Lord that you have for other people that strengthens them, it encourages and comforts them. But the emphasis on 1 Corinthians 14 is that it's a word that people understand. And the limitation of, of tongues in the church meeting is that other people don't know what you're saying. And Paul gets right to that in chapter 14, verse 2. For if anyone speaks in a tongue, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. I mean, Paul, Paul basically saying, if, 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 if in a church meeting you speak in tongues, God understands you, but nobody else does. But, verse 3, but everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And so there's a, there's, there's, there's an... Uh, emphasis here that Paul is saying, I want, you to, I want you to put more emphasis on those gifts which edify the whole church. And that's why he, 
why he emphasizes uh, prophecy. And he says that here at Corinth, you're, you're, you're em- overemphasizing a gift that, that uh, doesn't build up others, at least the way it's being used. So now, let us, let's look very carefully at how Paul handles this poor judgment, okay? Because I, I think this is so easy for people based on their uh, prejudices or theological views. It's so easy for people to really take this chapter and just run, run away with it, okay? Let's look very carefully at how Paul handles this poor judgment. Does he admonish them to correct this problem? Yes, absolutely. Does he use some very strong arguments? Yeah, he does. You bet. But does he say that tongues are of the devil? Does he say that tongues should be prohibited? Does he condemn the use of tongues? No. Instead, he corrects the misuse of tongues, what I would say, in a very fatherly way. He's very loving, but firm, and he brings them to a very balanced and a very reasoned, a very logical conclusion. So just follow with me. He begins by saying, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. I mean, does that sound like he's condemning tongues? All right. I w- he said, you know, I would, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And so instead of condemning them, he starts out in this, in this, what I would say, rather positive way. But he says, I would rather that you prophesy. And again, why is that? Because there's a certain limitation that tongues have in the church meeting and that people don't understand what you're saying. Whereas with prophesy, prophesying, they do. Okay? I hope, hope that's very simple and very clear. And so much of the rest of the chapter uh, 14 explains that prophecy is better than tongues in the church meeting simply because it is a spoken word that people understand, that strengthens, encourages, and comforts. And people are not built up hearing things they don't understand. So, you know, when Paul said, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the, the, the gift of prophecy, I think he was saying, or if I could paraphrase, paraphrase it, he's just saying, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially eagerly desire that you would always have a word from the Lord for the church or other believers that they understand that will build them up. Okay? So, verse 5, he says, He who prophesies is greater, or that's this kind of his conclusion, therefore he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue. And by, by greater, he just means it has greater usefulness in the church meeting. Unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. All right, so in church, when you're together with other believers, tongues needs to be interpreted in order to edify others. And if it is interpreted, then it can have this edifying effect. Jumping ahead uh, to verse 13, and I'm going to kind of jump around a few verses here, putting more topics together. But verse 13, he says, for this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Why should, if you, have speak, if you speak in tongues, why should you interpret what you say? Because speaking in tongues by yourself, it edifies you, it builds you up. But if you want to be able to use that to build somebody else up, you need to be able to uh, interpret. Verse 16, he says you can sing in spirit. And we, we was talking about you can sing in a tongue, you can speak in a tongue, you can praise God 
that way. But he says in verse 16, for example, if you are praising God with your spirit, and in the context that basically means if you are praising God in tongues, he says, how can other people even say amen since they don't know what you are saying? And so again, not to be overly redundant, but actually Paul is, so I will be. (laughs) He says again and again throughout this chapter, there's the same message. It's repeated over and over. Verse 16, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you a teaching or a prophecy or a knowledge or a revelation? Or something that you understand. Verse 9, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So, I mean, that's probably the strongest thing that Paul says. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty pointed, okay? If we haven't got what he's saying, you know, we, I think we would with that. He, he's saying, you know, I, again, I'll just repeat it. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you guys. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul himself is saying, I speak in tongues, Paul spoke in tongues. I do it more than all of you. Uh, in other words, I think he's saying, you know, speaking in tongues is wonderful. I approve of it. I do it myself more than all of you. But in the church meeting, I know that the priority is speaking in words that, are, that build up and edify others. All right. So are everybody f- with me or following that? All right. So verse 26, Paul reaches a conclusion. We're getting down toward the end of this chapter. After making this argument, he says, What then shall we say, brothers? Okay, that's, that's Paul's way of saying, what is the bottom line? <laughs> okay, what then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, each, each one has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue. All of this must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at the most should speak, one at a time, and then someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep silent and speak to himself and to God. All right, so Paul basically sets out what we call guidelines. If you want to call them rules or just principles, but just he reaches this conclusion. And he says, first of all, everything that, hap- that happens in the church meeting has to happen or must be done to strengthen the church. It's like, you know, before you speak, think, okay? Is this going to strengthen the church? I mean, that's, he says, everything that happens in church must be done to strengthen the church. And then he says, uh, if there are tongues, two or three at most, in other words, you know, just don't overdo it, do it, but don't overdo it. And then if you are speaking in a tongue, either you must interpret it must be interpreted, he says. Either you must interpret or someone else must. And if that's not the case, Paul said, just speak in tongues silently between yourself and God. And then Paul wraps, wraps up everything in verse 39. He says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. All right, again, I'm going to put my own uh, paraphrase. All right, this is, my, this is my translation of really what Paul is saying here at the end of this chapter. 
He said, guys, understand that the priority in the church meeting is to have a word from the Lord that people understand. But don't go overboard with what I'm saying and now forbid people to speak in tongues. He said, he said, I'm not saying that. I mean, he's, he's, he's saying, I've laid out these principles, these guidelines, these cautions. I've said all that. But, but again, don't go overboard with what I'm saying and then forbid people to speak in tongues. All right. I have just given you, I mean, you have been through a Bible survey on tongues. I mean, I have just given you virtually all that is said in the Scripture about tongues. I mean, there's a couple of other passages uh, that might be, you know, veiled references uh, to praying in tongues, but, and there might be a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians 14 I didn't cover, but in essence, we have covered it all. I mean, you have heard everything, basically, that the Bible says about tongues. So, now we get to the difficult part of the message. What can we say for sure? I mean, that, and that's, again, my point is, what does the Bible say? So what can we say for sure? Now, admittedly, I'm going to be telling you in the next few moments what I think we can say for sure, okay? All right, the first thing, and it's a very brief point, but, it, but I think it's an important one. The very first thing I think that, that we can say for sure is that tongues are good, I mean, tongues are a good thing. They're a wonderful thing because they are a work of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does, what he brings, what he offers, how he manifests himself is good. It's just good. And so I think, and that may be like a a world-changing, life-changing attitude for, for some. But I think it's just the most basic thing that we can say. I mean, all that God, you know, when God created the world, it says everything God did was good. Well, we can say the same thing about the gifts and the works and the wonders of the Holy Spirit. Everything that the Holy Spirit does is good. So we can say that tongues are good. It's the first thing that we can take away for sure. Number two. Okay, I'm, I'm getting more risky here. Okay, number two. Speaking in tongues, at least, at the very least, can be a way that the Holy Spirit evidences his presence when he comes upon a person. I mean, that is what happened throughout the book of Acts. And based on that, we could or perhaps even should expect that to happen when people are filled or receive the Holy Spirit. I mean, it is a biblical New Testament experience, and we should praise God when people have this experience. In my my own experience, I have seen seasons in the church when it seemed that just person after person who prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. It wasn't pressured, it wasn't forced. I mean, it just happened. It was just, just like, boom. It's a wonderful thing. The question then becomes, and is this, must everyone speak in tongues as evidence that they are filled with the Holy Spirit? And personally, I respect those who say that, even though I'm not going to go, go that far. I respect those who say that. I see where they get it from the pattern in the book of Acts. But I personally can't say that because I don't have a verse of Scripture that says everyone must speak in tongues as evidence of being filled with the Spirit. We have examples of many who did that. 
But even, the, even in the book of Acts, we see other evidences of the Spirit. We see people overflowing with praise to God. People being filled with joy. They're filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. We see other signs and wonders. When Peter talked about the prophecy of Joel, it referred to dreams, visions. We see power to witness. We see boldness when the Holy Spirit, boldness to speak the word of God when the Holy Spirit came upon people. We see an incredible or radical love, radical generosity, radical closeness, radical fellowship. All of those things were evidences of of the Holy Spirit being poured out on people and on the church. So what is unmistakable? What is unmistakably promised? What is the clear absolute that we, that we absolutely know for sure? Personally, I, I don't think it is that we will all speak in tongues. The clear absolute, it is the outpouring of the Spirit on young and old men and women for all who call upon the name of the Lord that is what is unmistakably promised. Everyone can have that. Everyone can have the outpouring of the Spirit. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Another verse that, that I personally deal with is, is, is in the one that I read in 1 Corinthians 12 that clearly says, all do not speak in tongues, do they? I understand the position uh, that says that this applies to the, to the gift of tongues in a church meeting rather than to tongues in the initial filling. Um, I understand that. Uh, but as for me, this verse is a very clear statement, and I just, am, I just am not comfortable to reinterpret it to mean anything other than what it just says. All do not speak in tongues, do they? Third, the third thing that we, that we can clearly say, or that, again, that I think we can clear, clearly say, is that we should not forbid people to speak in tongues. I mean, Paul so clearly concludes this whole instruction on tongues by saying, do not forbid speaking in tongues. I mean, that's the very last thing he says. In 2006, a very large evangelical denomination voted to ban missionaries from serving with them who even spoke in tongues in their private prayers. In their language of their mission board statement said this, if private prayer language is a part of the applicant's conviction or practice, the candidate has eliminated, eliminated his or herself from, representative, from representing the fill-in-the-blank mission agency. I, I think that is horribly sad, and I think it goes way beyond. Uh, not only beyond, it goes against uh, what the Bible says and what the Apostle Paul said here. And I know... Churches feel that they can forbid tongues by saying things like, well, the modern tongues movement is of the devil, or tongue tongue speaking was a New Testament phenomenon. This is actually a direct quote out of another position paper. Uh, Tongue speaking is a New Testament phenomenon and no longer legitimate since the revelation of Scripture has been completed. But the problem with using arguments like that, still, in the end, or the end result of those arguments is that you prohibit speaking in tongues, which Paul said, do not do that. Okay? Number four, we can say that love should rule our differences and discussions. Right in the middle of Paul's teaching about spiritual gifts, we find the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. 
In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul starts out, follow the way of love. I mean, it's just repeated over and over and over again that, guys, the bottom line, the thing that matters most, the things that you've got to have is love. And yet, the priority of love is usually forgotten about when doctrinal differences are discussed. As Christians, we are not called just to be right. You can be so right, but without love, you can be so wrong. Paul said, knowledge makes you arrogant, but love builds up others. So so it's just so important that we keep that perspective when we talk about tongues or really anything that we might have differences of opinion on. Uh, you, know, you might have knowledge about it, but all that, that might just make you proud. Love builds up others. Fifth, what, the fifth and final thing that we can say for sure is that we should go by what the Bible says without adding our own spin to it. And boy, does the spin start spinning when we start talking about tongues. And that's why I've just tried this morning so much to just go passage to passage. What does the Bible say? Okay? And that is so important to, to look at it that way. You know, I read a quote this week I thought was powerful. It says, Only the Bible can take the handcuffs off our denominational tendencies. Only the Bible can remove the shackles that we may find ourselves bound in from church or denominational tendencies. The danger of just accepting what our church says, I'm talking about real life church, the danger of just accepting what our church says or what any church or denomination says without carefully weighing it against scripture is that we can become stuck or blinded to certain truths of the Bible. And only the Bible can free us from being locked in to wrong beliefs. Paul said a really important thing in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. And I'm going to have to read the whole verse, so you get the, the, but the important part is at the end. He said, Brothers, I have applied these things to myself and to Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn the meaning of this saying. Do not go beyond what is written. So here, this is, that's a powerful truth. This is a great truth. Go with all that is written in Scripture, but do not go beyond what is written. And if we are careful to follow this command, how many problems would be solved? I mean, it is just so important we talk about spiritual gifts or tongues, that we go with all that is written, but that we don't go beyond what is written. All right, so let's bring this down in closing to what can we say about real-life church. First, we encourage each and every one, man, woman, young person, old person, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be continually filled. And if that results in speaking in tongues, wow, wonderful. Praise God. We bless that. But even if it does not, we praise God too. I praise God. We praise God for all who are filled with the Spirit, no matter when that happens, 
no matter how that happens or what the outward signs and evidences and manifestations are of that. It is being filled with the Holy Spirit that matters. It is the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your heart that matters. And if you are full of faith and of joy and of the Holy Spirit, praise God. Praise Jesus. That's what matters. And if you have that, that is what we, that is what we want. Again, as I said, what is the absolute? The biblical absolute, it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on young and old, men and women, that is unmistakably promised. That is your possession in Christ. Secondly, I would say we encourage the biblical use of the gift of tongues. I mean, we want to just follow what the, what the apostles said in this, these passages that I just covered today. If you speak in tongues, use it to build yourself up in the Lord. Use it to edify yourself. Tongues edifies you yourself in your own privacy. You speak to God in tongues, and it builds you up. And then you can come and build others up. If you speak in tongues, Paul says, pray that you may interpret. And if you can interpret, then use this gift with other believers or even one-on-one with another believer. I mean, tongues spoken with interpretation can be a powerful blessing. It can just, it give, just like prophecy, it gives, can give a powerful sense of God's immediate presence and comfort. And then third... And final, just again, remember the priority of love. And let's respect one another. Let's appreciate one another and the varieties of gifts and the ways that we use them. That's it. <laughs> All right? And I, you know, I hope this brings some clarity. Um, feel free to ask questions. If you disagree with me, I won't bite. I won't consider it. Uh, a means, a reason to break fellowship with anyone over. Uh, so, you know, it, it's better, if you have questions or uh, really think I'm off base on something, it's better to, better to get that out in the open and talk about it because, uh, you know, we can do that because you know, we're one in Christ and nothing else can, can divide us. That's the thing that uh, unites us above and beyond all else. All right, let's pray. Father, how we thank you uh, for... Tongues, how we thank you for this marvelous, powerful demonstration of the reality of the Holy Spirit, the way that you uh, recorded these, these things and events for us to learn from and to be blessed by, Lord. So we, we thank you for this. We ask, Lord, just to continue to teach us and give us revelation and understanding about this, that we would do all things in a way that, that edifies and strengthens the church and, and in a way that pleases you. Uh, and blesses your name and brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ, who is ultimately the giver of the Holy Spirit and therefore the giver of these gifts. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence here with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.